This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Helen Faherty and I'm a Headstuff supporter. I listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner because it gives expert opinions and key facts on a variety of topics that lead, I think, to better empathy and better understanding. You are listening to Basically. Hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today we are following on with our Religions of the World series, you could call it, with Nyana Dara, who is a member of the Tree Ratna Buddhist Order and chairman of the Dublin Buddhist Centre in Central Dublin. Thank you for joining me. I'm very, very excited about this episode. It's a pleasure. Good to be here. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, okay, so tell me, tell me about Buddhism. How, what is it? Yeah, well, maybe a good place to start is with the Buddha. Okay. Because um, that's where Buddhism started. Is there only one? There's one. There's a little bit more to the story than that, okay. but I'll come to that in a okay, minute. So basically, uh, the Buddha was a man who lived uh, two and a half thousand years ago in northeastern India. Okay. And he was troubled by the life that he was living. Um, that's the way the story goes. And the story is that he uh, saw what are called the four sights. So he saw an old person, a sick person. Um, a dead person and also a wandering holy person and um, the the old old age sickness and death were the things that really bothered him it's a bit like what's the point what's the value what's the meaning of human life in the when that's part and parcel of of the life that we have and at that time in India you could leave home and become like a wandering mendicant people would support you they'd feed you and you could just spend your entire life searching for the truth searching for the deeper significance of life and that's what he himself did okay and um, lived in that way for a number of years and then eventually woke up so buddha means awakened one and um so it's a title rather than a given name if you see what i mean okay and he basically yeah uh, became what we call an awakened person um so you can you can understand that sort of positively you could say in terms of a state that's um characterized by by love by awareness Mm -hmm. and by um wisdom so understanding the true nature of things so he saw a dead person a sick person an old person and one of these wandering people and and that gave him the awakening or or no in a way that's that set him on the path it's a bit like he just knew that life lived as it's normally lived uh wasn't going to be satisfying Okay, uh, and so the the fact that because four- he was going to become old or sick or die, yeah, and so would everybody he knew. Um, so he was sort of, I suppose, troubled by that. How can I relax? How can I have a good time uh, when I know that this is coming around the corner? Right. Okay. Um, so I suppose what's significant about that for us is that we're all in that situation. All human beings are in that situation. Um, now, like I say, at that time there was this. Um, tradition that you could leave home and people would support you, which is what he did. Um, and yeah, um, other pe- people these days can can. It's a different culture in a way. It's a different um, world in which we live. But you can still um, change the way that you live, which is which is what modern Buddhists do. Which is what Buddhists have done throughout the history of Buddhism. If change the way that they live. I could say a little bit more about what that means. Um, yeah. yeah, I have a question first of all though mm. about um, so. The Buddha, the Buddha, as in the first guy. Yeah. But if if if, um, is he, is he the sort of fat guy 
smiling uh, yeah. on the chair <laughs> yeah. or like I, yeah. I just know a lot of Buddhas yeah. that are like they and, and this is I don't mean to be insulting but it seems to be that like every TK Maxx I go into yeah, is right. full of just gold statues of Buddha yeah. but they all look different yeah, and they what? seem to be sort of now like fashionable to yeah, just yeah, put sure. in your house yeah well I suppose um, they've become like ornaments yeah um, so but what you, I suppose what you get with Buddhism is you get a tradition that's spread all over the whole of Asia, mm-hmm. uh, including Central Europe. Um, some places like Afghanistan, interestingly, was a Buddhist country at one point. Oh, wow. Which, you know, and every time it went to a new culture, people would express the Buddha's form in a different kind of way. Okay. Um, so what we've got now is we've got the sort of tradition of all these different kinds of Buddhas. Some of the, some of the, the statues that you see will be of other figures who... Um, aren't sort of the Buddha but maybe come from the Buddhist tradition there's one okay. particular figure that's popular which is a kind of a, kind of like a wealth god he's a little bit like a kind of you know Santa Claus originally yeah. origi- originally was a saint and then he became this kind of guy that you see at Christmas time with a red yeah. suit I think it's a little bit like with that with, with the fat guy that you rub his belly he's not the Buddha that I'm talking about he's okay. kind of like some kind of a sort of folk figure so we go back yeah. to your Buddha so yeah. <laughs> um, and Okay, so he goes, uh, he goes on. He's wandering, and then he becomes awakened. Yeah. And what does that? Is there is there a book? Is like is there the way we have the oh, Bible yeah. or the Torah or the? Sure, sure. So basically, the Buddha, um, he he ex- experienced this um, awakening, mm-hmm. and uh, he realized that he was free from the the cycle of birth and death, as we say, and um, and he realized that other people could awaken as well if they knew how to do it. So basically what he did is he spent the next, well, the rest of his life, which was 45 years, walking around India just communicating with people, um, telling them about a path to awakening, which is what Buddhism essentially is. And those discourses, those conversations that he had, those talks that he gave, um, were remembered for quite a number of centuries, actually. And then eventually they were written down into books. Um, so the the, the, so the scriptures that we have in Buddhism are records of the communications between an enlightened person and an unenlightened person, mostly, or some, sometimes there are communications between the Buddha and his enlightened disciples. And is it through those books that um, people of the Buddhist faith now, like is the path that people take explained, that they follow those books to become enlightened? Yeah, ba- well, yeah, the teachings are in the books. In the books, yeah, yeah cool. Um, I suppose, but, but they're not, um, we, we relate to them in a slightly different way from other traditions. Um, uh, they're not seen as absolute truth. You know, okay. So, Rather than one enlightened person's experience? Well, it's a bit like, it's, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement that you have your experience and then you try and communicate your experience, which is what, which we're, is tra- which, thing. what we're trying to do now. Um but the the communication isn't you can't have my experience just from from the two of us talking if you see what I mean yes okay so it's it's a recognition that um that the the teachings have an instrumental value that they're not tr- true in themselves they're true because they lead to a state where you can realize that truth for yourself which is what Buddhism is concerned with is actually so it's like uh, reading a recipe book doesn't make you experience the meal like it tells yeah, you how yeah. it was made and how to do it yourself but like exactly. you actually have to go and do it yeah the and and the more you if you've got a particular recipe the more you make it the better you get at it until you can remember until you don't even need to look at the recipe if you know it really well you can just and then you you might even start 
you know, playing around with it. Um, so yeah, so the recipes have got an instrumental value, and in the same way, the Buddha's teaching has got an instrumental value. So, you know, if you know it off by heart, you can you can live according to those principles, um, and you know, you don't necessarily need to keep um, going over the teachings. I mean, we tend to because we forget because they're quite challenging. So you keep, need to keep reminding yourself of what what's been said, but. It's what's been said, the principles that are, that it's important that are important, and the way that they actually lead to a change in the way that we live and think, which is the most important thing. So, what are the principles that people in the Buddhist faith are asked to live by? So, the like I said, Buddhism um, is a path. Okay. So, um, the the path, the simplest um, explanation of the path is it's got three aspects. So there's three different um, elements. Um, so first of all, you've got ethics, uh, which is looking at how we live our lives. There's meditation, which is about um, concentrating and um, bringing about a transformation of the mind. Mm -hmm. And then there's wisdom. Um, so the ethics bit is about, well, the, there's, well, probably the easiest way of talking about it is there's five principles, mm -hmm. five ethical precepts or tra the training principles. So Buddhism sort of sees... Um, human life as dynamic. Um, so we become who we are according to how we behave. Okay. Um, so that's a really important um, We become who we are according to how we behave. Yeah. So so we're not created. Okay. Uh, you know, that, that notion of um, human beings being created by... Or having predetermined destiny and... That, that's alien to Buddhism. So okay. Buddhism sees that, you know, you are who you are according to what you do. What so you, you are what you do. Yeah. So that's what a human being is. There's not something within the human being which is kind of fixed and final and, and you know, created. Yeah. It's a dynamic... A human being is a, is a dynamic uh, entity, um, which is quite liberating because it means that you can the the possibility for transformation is massive. you are capable of changing. Yeah, y yeah, yeah. You just but it's difficult because of habit. Yes, um, which is why we need um, training principles. So it's a little bit like if you are making a cake. There's certain principles you need to understand. Like if you're making a sponge cake, you close the door and you leave it closed until it's cooked. If you keep opening it, the sponge will flop flop yeah. so it's a principle of making sponge cakes so. science as well you know yeah, like yeah. It's well, like... exactly yeah and i suppose um yeah and, and incidentally i think that's one of the things that appeals to people about buddhism is that you can, it, it does appeal to experience in other words you tr you're, you're invited to try out the teaching yes and notice what happens which is a kind of more akin to a scientific method where you it's based on observation yeah uh, you have a hypothesis you uh, test it and you, and, and you come up with certain conclusions from that. So anyway, so the first of these principles is the principle um, of love and kindness. What that means um, is... Love and kindness or lo loving kindness? Love and kindness okay. is what we... Well, I mean, it's a bit of an inelegant English phrase, but it's trying to um, translate what a meta. Meta means something like... Um, it's a Pali word. Pali is a, a language that the Buddha's teachings were written down in. It's about trying to develop a kind of solidarity of the fact that you're alive and other people are alive and that their life is as real as your life is. So we tend to live very much focused on ourself. We know yes. that we're alive. We feel that immediately, you know, if we if it's a cold day, we feel that directly. If it's a hot day, we feel that directly. Um, so what we're invited to do is to uh, basically reflect on the fact that other people have experience too. Um, 
and when and and start to reorientate our life so that it's it's based more on that awareness, not just an awareness of ourselves, but an awareness of other people, not just as being, not just as existing, but actually having experience in the way that we have experience. Does that mean like, and sorry to be sort of pedestrian about it, like feeling other people's pain, like empathy, in a way, um, or like experiencing bad things that are happening as though they are happening to you? Kind of yes and no. Um, in a way, you're just trying to acknowledge the reality of that experience. It's not necessarily, you don't need to feel, if someone else is experiencing pain, you don't need to feel that pain. But it's like, no, it's, it's a bit mysterious. When you start getting into the stuff, it's a bit mysterious. Okay. But, you, but you're trying to acknowledge that that, that is real. And you, and, and, and you want to do something about helping. Mm -hmm. I suppose that's the key thing. It's le um, love in Buddhism is less about how you feel. It's more about what you do. Okay. So you live in such a way that um, you, it's beneficial to others and not harmful to others. So okay. that's really the first ethical precept of Buddhism. Is, okay. So the first one is loving kindness. Yeah. And that what that means is non-harming. Mm -hmm. um, that's where the sort of the non-violent... Um, tradition of Buddhism comes from that that first precept. The second the second one is about generosity, which you could say is a kind of an expression of that first one. Um, and then you've got uh, And is generosity like generosity of of giving things or like generosity of attention or emotional like your availability or just in general yeah well, it, well in a way it's a general principle but it could be applied in different ways so okay. you know it means giving like material things um being generous with your does that money mean or, in practical terms that mm. like buddhists they tend to give away what they have like in general do they not acquire huge amounts of wealth well, that, that, that's the principle. It's difficult to generalize about yes, Buddhists because there's yeah. a lot of them. But that, but it's definitely one of the principles. Not not accumulating things for the for the sake of accumulating things. things. Like um, there's a is definitely seen as a virtue. Yes, um, okay. You know, to try and free yourself from from just the impedimenta of life. You know, picking up all the stuff that you have to look after. Yeah. So. Um, in a way, it makes it more difficult to give if you're really, 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 really concerned about all the thing, all your possessions. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, wealth isn't seen as something that's inherently evil okay. in Buddhism. It's it's a matter of how you how you what you do with what it. you do with it. So money is actually really useful stuff. Um, it's just a matter of how you deploy it, as it were. Yeah. Not the thing itself is it's just energy that you can you can use in different ways. So, I think I think. Um, yeah, we don't we don't need to feel quite guilty about mm -hmm. about having money, but it's just about what you what, what you do with what it. you do with it. Okay, and the third one. The third one is um, well, in a way, it's connected with what I've just been saying. It's about contentment. It's about trying to develop a um, a contented state of mind, so you're not constantly kind of hankering after something. something. Um, it's sort of to put it positively, it's recognizing that you can only really find um, peace sort of from within yourself. You can't. Uh, in, the, in the final analysis, you, you know, if even if you had it, like the Buddha says in one of the teaching, he says even even um, uh, in a shower of money, uh, um, you, you won't find satisfaction of your desire. So you know that sort of way. If you just keep getting more and more stuff, you just want more and more stuff. Yeah. So it's trying to develop, uh, yeah, just a sense of contentment with what you um, what you have, which can sound a little bit like acquiescence um, in a way. It's sort of, but it's, so it's not that you're trying to just accept your lot in a kind of um, yeah. Like, are you allowed to have ambition? 
how does ambition fit with contentment with what you have? Well, in a way, it, it, again, it depends on what your ambition is for. If your okay. if your ambition is to just get, get rich lots, to get, have a get big, lots yeah. of money and to um, get one over everybody else, then that would be problematic. But if, if your ambition is to create something which is really helpful to people, or create something beautiful, um, you know, you might have artistic ambition or aesthetic ambition. If you sort of mean, you want to create beautiful music or beautiful theatre that communicates a sense of values that will, that will actually bring something into the world which doesn't exist as yet. That would be seen as really positive ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's about Buddhist ethics is about intention. It's, it's about what are you trying to do? What's going on in your mind? That's the, the criteria for what makes an, a, an, an action um, a beneficial action or a not a beneficial action is what, what's happening in your mind. Um, and again, just going back to the to the the understanding, it's not that ethics are uh, are a value in and of themselves. They're instrumental to to development. Um, they're instrumental in terms of becoming uh, a different kind of person, a better kind of person. And what are the final two then in so the you, ethics? So you've got um, maybe one thing I should mention is there's another side to the third precept, which is sexual misconduct. Okay. So abstaining. Each precept has a kind of something you're trying to do and something you're trying not to do. So okay. the first one is like you're trying to um, act out of love and kindness and not act from um, harm, you know, in a harmful way. You're trying to be generous and not to uh, take what's not given. You're trying to be contented, and 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 then the other side of that is um, abstaining from sexual misconduct, which basically means harming other people through your sexual behaviour. Okay. Uh, it's as simple as, stra- as straightforward as that. So there's no um, kind of hang up or problem with same-sex relationships, for example, in the Buddhist tradition. Um, whatever whatever floats your boat, once that once it's not harming con- consensual, et cetera, it's not harming anybody, is okay. Um, so that is probably just worth stating that because yeah, that can kind of that kind of often comes up. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that people are interested in. Um, and the fourth one is uh, truthfulness. So this is all about speech. The fourth precept is about actually saying what's true um so generally well not generally but often we we slightly bend the truth in order to make ourselves look a particular way yeah or to engineer an outcome which would suit us but not the other person um so the but the base level of this precept is just actually reporting what happened factually so you're not trying to exaggerate or minimize um but it goes much deeper than that because you know there's a, there's a tradition in Buddhism that speaking the truth has its own kind of value. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know that that way. If you you hear somebody speaking about something, or maybe you see like a um, a piece of theatre or a film, it says something true about human life. Something about the way that the, the characters interact and the way that the drama unfolds reveals something about the nature of life, mm-hmm. and that can have a transformative effect on on you. You feel sometimes you can feel kind of almost purified or uplifted by it yeah um so truth that that's part of that fourth precept is not just abstaining from saying things which are untrue but actually recognizing the the, the positive value of truth and what's the opposite one of the are the the, the flip side of that one well it's just um lying yeah i suppose you know so got, but there's also like <laughs> I, I heard a pr person say once you always tell the truth but you don't have to tell the whole truth <laughs> You know? Yeah. Well, again, it comes back to intention. Yes. Okay. It's and a bit like it's a bit like you know your mum comes down and she, you're going out to a party and she's 
she's put her best outfit on and she she says how do you look and actually you don't think she looks great but you don't say ah mum you don't look great here you know what are you doing yeah you, you don't say that it, it wouldn't be helpful it might be helpful depends on the relationship yes. with your mother but so often the the first precept the precept about um love, love and, and kindness, kindness and the, the fourth before. precept there can be a little bit of um oh, i don't know like uh Conflict you've got to you've got to hold both of those principles in order to act. So again, it's about acting according to principles rather than following rules. Rules will never be adequate to every situation that life throws at you. But if you really if you really imbibe these principles, they'll give you um, touchstones that you can draw. You know that you can well you can touch yeah. <laughs> to kind of get a sense of okay what would be the right thing Thank to do you. in this situation because we all come up with ethical dilemmas in our lives um, whether we're conscious of them or not we're always interacting with other people so the way that we do that is of crucial importance um, so the, fourth, the fifth one is, is awareness basically you're trying to cultivate awareness Yeah. so awareness is a really crucial principle in, in Buddhism you're trying the Buddha like I said is the awakened one mm -hmm. um, so you're trying to be you know become like that so developing awareness is key so um, you know um, I mean, I'm going to talk about meditation in a second, but um, that also means um, abstaining from things which cloud the mind, drinking drugs which cloud the mind. Okay. Um, so um, that you know, drugs and alcohol is the kind of um, that arena. Um, and again, it's it's not, some some Buddhist some Buddhist friends of mine are completely they don't touch a drop type of thing. Yeah. Other people would you know have a drink socially. But, but once it starts to cloud the mind, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and quite where that line is, is um, for Personal. the individual to, yeah. to decide. While I have you here, and I have your captive attention, I want to let you know that if you are a basically supporter, if you are a Headstuff Plus member, I have an opportunity for you. So from now on, I want to change how my show was introduced. Usually I say, hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in studio I have, you know that bit, you've heard it all. From now on, I want a different podcast supporter to introduce my show because I really am grateful to the people who support the podcast. They mean that, you know, their five euro a month means that I can have a producer working full time on the show and it's just, I really, really am grateful. So I'm going to give you an address and I want you to send a voice note that says, hi, my name is Mary and I'm a Headstuff supporter and the reason I like listening to the show is because blah, 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 you are listening to Basically and then I'll come in. So what I want you to do is send your voice note to www.speakpipe.com forward slash basically. That's speak, S-P-E-A-K, pipe, P-I-P-E, dot com forward slash basically. And when you go to that site, what comes up basically is this big button that says start recording and you just record directly into that and then it gets sent to us and then you will be introducing the show. Thank you so much for your support. Come on, sissy that pod. Let's get thickening. Are you a fan of the Emmy Award winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, sissy that pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right. Whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All-Stars. 
Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. And then are there other people who like find that, I don't know, Instagram clouds their mind or... Yeah, absolutely. Sugar, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, what you do with your senses has an effect on your mind. That's, in a way, maybe that's a deeper kind of principle. So, and I think, I think particularly now, like when I started practicing Buddhism 20 plus years ago, there was no mobile phones, there was no Instagram, Facebook, etc. And it's really quite striking just noticing the difference that that makes to people's psychological yeah. experience you know people are like uber overstimulated generally yeah and that hasn't so you know if you if you're serious about um the fifth precept even the third precept about contentment and one of the things we often say to people is just reduce input mm-hmm. you know just look at just limit the amount of stuff you're looking at because um it's just overwhelming it has an effect you can't settle your mind just won't settle because it's like whipped up by all the stuff you've been looking at so you said there was three pathways and we've just done one of them, which was ethics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's th- so ethics is the first part of the threefold path. Okay. Yeah. So then you've got meditation. Okay. Um, so And are th- these are things that are asked by the Buddha of his followers or these are things that he did well, that people try to emulate? It's it, Well, it's more the second. In a way, the Buddhists are saying, look, this is this is my perspective on life. Mm-hmm. Um this is what if you if you want to become awakened if um, then this is what I suggest. If you want what I have, do if, what I do. I, this is what I this do. This is I suggest what you do. So, the, the, it's it's like a conditional teaching. It's okay. not an imperative. It's not you have to do this or else. They're not commandments. They're not commandments because <laughs> yeah. in a way the Buddha doesn't have the power to make things happen for people. If you mm-hmm. said to me, the Buddha didn't create the universe. Oh right, okay, um, that's the difference. Right. So that's pretty. So that's quite an important. So that the way of understanding ethics is not a matter of well, you follow these rules or else you'll be punished or rewarded. It's um, you, these are principles that help you live a life so that you can be happy and have you know things like have good relationships with other people. Which okay, if you have bad relationships with people, generally that doesn't lead to happiness. Yeah. Um. So if you follow the the Buddhist precepts, your relationships will tend to be better with other people. Okay. Um. And that will make you a happier person. Just just looking at it in the in the kind of immediate psychological effect, and it'll also um, create a platform um, for the development of higher states of consciousness or, or deeper states of mind, which is what meditation is concerned with. And so we get to meditation now. When you mm. meditate, and and I'm just kind of comparing this to the other religions that I've learned about, you're not like meditation is your form of prayer. No, do you have prayer as well? Prayer and meditation? Um, and do you pray to the Buddha or do you just meditate for yourself? Like you were saying, yeah. Buddha doesn't grant wishes to people in the way that people pray to God for yeah. a sunny day or whatever. Yeah. That like Buddha did his thing and he left these teachings for people to follow if they want to, but he's done now. Or or is it something that like people still pray to and, and thank? Well, I suppose it's a bit, you, people still have a very, very strong feeling for the Buddha. Yes. Um, and you might... Uh, prayer is a tricky word because it means different things in different contexts. Okay. But you, you, but people do pray to the Buddha, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, it's a like it's like affirming that connection that you have with him, almost like a personal connection. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, he lived a long time ago, but it's quite amazing how you can create a connection with somebody who's passed away, even like somebody that you've known. Mm-hmm. You know, if your parents pass away, or your brother, or your sister, or your grandparent, you still have a relationship with them after they're yeah. no longer physically present. Yeah. And it's like that with the Buddha. I think the more you practice his teaching, uh, the more you imagine the kind of life that he had, the stronger you you, you have the, the, the your feeling to. for him is. Mm-hmm. And 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 actually, in in Buddhist um, tradition, reflecting on the Buddha, rem- remembering the Buddha. Um, uh, is a it's a spiritual practice in and of itself. So when you when you think of people's qualities, good qualities, spiritual qualities, even they kind of rub off on you. Um, if it, you know, and it's, it, that's the the purpose of the practice. When you when you reflect on the Buddha, you reflect on his qualities. And because he's a human being, he started out as, as an ordinary human being. Um, you're an ordinary human being, as it were. Though those sort of qualities begin to um, be stimulated within mm-hmm. you. So I think again, I think that's a really important aspect of Buddhist tradition is that the Buddha started out as a human being. He started out from the same place that we stay out from. He's not a god. He's not a prophet of God. He's not the son of God. He's not the incarnation of God. That Just whole a normal person. Yeah, but he became extraordinary by his practice. By his by by what he does. Yeah. Which means that we can become extraordinary through what we do. Um so in a way hum- humanity has got a sort of a central position in the, the sort of Buddhist cosmology as it were. It's not there isn't that central position isn't taken by a creator deity. Mm-hmm. And that that is very very difficult to get your head around when you come at it because we tend to come at religion from the from a, a, an assumption, I suppose, which is understandable, that there's humanity, and then there's God, and there might be some kind of intermediary that comes in somewhere along the line. But there's a kind of a an insurmountable gulf or gap or break or split, and Buddhism doesn't look at the world in that kind of way. That so, we that the Buddha that we we are made of the same stuff that the Buddha's made from, as it were. But who did the Buddha believe created humanity? Or the world, or was that not really? It's not. It's not so much of a central question in okay. Buddhism. It's it's a bit more pragmatic. It's like, okay, we're here. So now what? Now what? Okay. Rather okay. than the, the, where do we come from? Yeah, because there are, there are teachings about the origin of the universe, but some people think that they're kind of almost like satires. Okay. Um. But but the, the Buddha the Buddha gives an analogy. He says, if someone shot you with an arrow, a poisoned arrow, what do you do? Do you try and figure out like what wood the arrow is made from, what 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 particular bird the feathers on the end of the arrow is made from, what 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 particular kind of metal is it bronze? Is it iron that's sticking into me? Mm-hmm. You don't do that. You just get the thing out of you. You pull it out, and he says that's a bit like um, the, the the Dharma. His teaching is like that. Is you pull it, you you pull out the arrow out of your heart. You don't worry about all these things that actually aren't of immediate con- import. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just pull the thing out. <laughs> Okay, so meditation. Yeah, right. Okay. So um, Buddhism has a really strong emphasis on the mind. Yeah. Um, So our actions, you could say, are crystallizations of what goes on in our mind. Okay. Yeah, so we feel a particular way towards a certain person, and we have an attitude towards them, and that expresses itself in certain... Things that we do. Things that we do. Um, So the mind is seen as, as... primary is really fundamental and so you could say meditation is 
the mind working directly on the mind to transform the mind. The mind working on the mind to transform the mind. Yeah. Okay. So um, generally, it's it's divided into two um, different aspects. So there's what's called tranquility meditation and insight meditation. Okay. So the tranquility aspect is trying to draw all the different aspects, all the different drives into a sort of a, a into a harmo uh, into a harmonious stream. The drives within us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know that kind of thing that, you know, part of you, you're sitting doing a particular task. Part of you is happy to be there and doing it. Part of you wants to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, like a, the situation a lot of ourselves find in a, ourselves in a lot of the time. Part of, We're partly there and partly not there. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do to, to begin with is just draw ourselves together so we're, our, you know, wholly attending to what we're doing. We're wholly present. And the, and the means to do that is is um, the mindfulness. Um, so that's that's a, it's about. It's funny how so many of these words have just leaked into like common day. Like yeah. I've heard about loving kindness before. I've right, done loving right. kindness meditation. Yeah, I'm really bad yeah. at meditation, but yeah. I've heard about mindfulness. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Well, it's become it's become like even in even in, I've been living in Ireland for 14 years, and in that time, it's become part of a, it's a word that people use all the time it wasn't like that yeah no when it was I, just I, kind of contained to the tradition yeah so I, th- I suppose it's worth kind of understanding how it's understood in the, in the buddhist tradition yes exactly which is it's part of this it's, it's an aspect of this whole of this path it's one aspect it's not the whole thing but it's it's really important um so yeah you're trying to yeah become more integrated as we say more whole as a person more together even you could say just become so that you're um yeah, yeah i've said it already but and, and does and, that mean that you can do that aspect of that path when you're cooking when you're driving like it doesn't have to be a still quiet meditation that like if you're bringing all of your focus into chopping an onion then you're meditating well, well, a, well, what, then what you're I, being mindful you're certainly being mindful yeah that, what i'd say is yeah you're mindfully chopping an onion yes uh now in a way you could say that when you practice mindfulness meditation you're doing that much you're you're giving your whole attention to to cultivating mindfulness rather than giving your whole mind, attention to chopping on chopping yes. so in a way i mean th- this it's kind of tricky to talk about in a way because you're always whatever you're you're always doing something i mean this is a kind of a buddhist principle yeah you we're, we're like i said we're dynamic we're always doing something um we can't do nothing actually because um, so, you're sitting or you're lying yeah, yeah, or, or you're, you're sleeping or you're or talking you're... or you're walking there's always some kind of activity even if you're perfectly stationary and this is what you find out when you meditate even if you, if you as it sounds like you've discovered if you sit down and you close your eyes you're not listening to anything there's all this stuff going on yeah my head is really loud I can't. yeah 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 so so that's so so that's what you work with and you work with that's a tranquility bit. As you be, when you become more integrated, when you become more fully engaged with what you're doing, your mind comes down. It's a bit like that expression, still waters run deep. There can be a lot of water moving down a river, but if at, when it reaches the sea, there's not much movement, even though there's a, quite a force um, yeah. of energy. Uh, so that's, um, yeah, tranquility meditation. So, so partly achieved through mindfulness but then there's also well there's i mentioned love and kindness there's love and kindness meditation i mentioned this principle of trying to really know and live from the fact that other people are real and you can actually develop the capacity to 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 live like that through meditation 
and work with some of the difficult emotions that arise when you come into contact with people who do things that you don't like. Yeah. So that, that's one of the probably one of the, the most disturbing emotions, both in terms of disturbing ourselves and also creating disturbances within a community or a society is, is aversion or hatred. Um, so that this practice, the, the metta bhavana, actually helps us to get out of the habit of reacting to other people's behavior that we don't like with aversion. Okay. Um, so, so, so it asks us to react with love and kind, loving kindness. Yeah, yeah. So, so to, in a way, to ignore, to recognize the fact that it's possible for people to do things that we don't like, but not to generate hatred out of that. It's just, it's just to develop a more patient attitude towards the inevitable conflicts that will arise in the course of our life. Because it's it's unreasonable to expect that conflict will never arise, mm-hmm. but it's how we negotiate that conflict when it does arise, which is key. And in a way, the meditation practice, it's almost like enables us to practice what a creative, um, loving, patient response would be like. So that when, when it happens, we're able to respond creatively rather than flying off the handle or whatever we do. You know? And is there, um, you know, in other, um, I know it's the Buddhist tradition, but in other religions, you know, you're asked to like in Christianity, go to mass on Sunday, in Islam, pray five times a day facing Mecca. Is there a similar daily practice that people have or is it a very personal thing? There's probably a kind of pattern that you would see. You know, those are the principles. Yeah. So, for example, if, if you want to if you want to be mindful and kind in your life, it's a really good idea to meditate every day. Okay. That's a way you can you can bring those principles into actual living experience. So, a lot of the Buddhists that I know would have a daily meditation practice. Um, a lot of people would um, will study Buddhist teachings. That would be really important. Listen, listen to talks. I mean, study Buddhist teachings that those those scriptures that you were talking about. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So you know, the Buddha to study what the Buddha said to different people and and ask the question: Well, why did he say that, and what did he mean, and what what does that mean in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that that brings up another aspect. I talked about, um, you know, the, the well, the Buddha, yeah. the, the path, and there's a third. Thing. I did all these lists of three. Sorry yeah, so we have the three. We did ethics yeah, yeah. and we did meditation, but yeah. there's another one. Yeah, there's wisdom. Yeah, maybe I should say something about that and then I'll say, say about wisdom and then we get the, to the next the other three, thing. three things. <laughs> but, um, it's satisfying. It's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose maybe, you know, partly, partly the reason the tradition evolves like this is because when you're talking, when you don't have a written tradition, it's really helpful to have a list so you can remember Word these. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's, what are the three things again? Oh, there's the five precepts. And then because it helps you to remember, it's a bit like if you're. Yeah. If you go into the shops and you you, you you've got three things, you it's easier to remember what they all are. Because when you were reminding when you were speaking at the start about the sick man, the dead man and oh, yeah. the the sick man, the dead man and the old man. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of Harry Potter. And oh yeah. They have I don't know if you've seen it. I've actually I've seen a couple of the movies, but well, there's yeah. this thing called the Deathly Hallows and it's basically uh, those three things. Oh right. <laughs> which is but she I know that she did take a lot of yeah. her inspiration from, you know, different religions and mythology and whatever. Yeah. But anyway, yes. Well in a way, I mean what that's pointing to is it's something universal. To, yeah. to, it's it's something to about humanity. it's something about human experience. It's not in a way it's not the preserve of Buddhism. It's no, just no, a, it's, it's just a it's just a profound experience. And um in a way 
it, it, Buddhism would encourage. That's part of the reason that we try and develop mindfulness, because when we live our lives, we we see the deeper significance of what we encounter. It, so mindfulness is not just about concentration; it's about actually an appreciation of what's really happening. Mm-hmm. So, for example, and this is where we we start shading into wisdom, which is so you've got ethics, meditation, and wisdom. Uh, you start seeing change. You start seeing the truth of change um, within yourself, or just. Everywhere. Like, okay. So this is this is one. Oh, of, the fact that change is the fact that change is an ever-present reality. Yeah. And again, it's not just that Buddhism sees that the human person is dynamic; it sees that the universe is dynamic, that there's nothing fixed and unchanging within the flow of life. I find that really distressing. Well, it is a bit troubling. Yeah. That. But. But. Um. So we can't. The. The, the way to find. Um security as it were within that is to live in accordance with with change so this is why this is what but then like what is what is secure and what can you count on and what is safe you know like i find well, that really now yeah. I, I have written a book called why can't everything just stay the same ah okay <laughs> that was the name of my first book <laughs> okay and um, i do have an issue with change but i yeah. i don't know how to and i understand that mm being flexible and being and knowing that like the tides change and the moon and change is a natural mm. thing I understand mm. all of it mm. I have the knowledge but I don't have the wisdom like I don't yeah. know I don't know it yeah. in me yeah and that's part of in, in a way Buddhism often terms and it talks in terms of vision and transformation so often we know things that we don't live but we live in a different way opposite to what we know well you know if knowledge was enough no one would smoke yeah like right exactly know, yeah but, yeah, but yeah. knowledge is not enough yeah, information yeah. is not enough yeah so that so that's why that's partly what meditation is about it's like integrating Fishing. what we know with how we live mm-hmm. um and it's it, that is the most difficult thing about human life is we know what we should do but we don't want to do it yeah and trying to um address that is in a way the central problem of any meaning any real spiritual life um, sometimes what we say is what we need to do is find emotional equivalents for our intellectual understandings. I like that, yeah. Um, and and that's really difficult. And no one's saying it's easy, um, but that is really difficult. And all of these things, um, you know, the ethical principles, the meditation practices, the reflections, all, mm-hmm. all help us to do that. Um, and so in that wisdom, does that wisdom part have... You know the way in the ethics path <laughs> there were five things. Yeah, in the yeah. wisdom path, what else is on there? Just well, uh, well, there's a lot. Okay, right? okay, okay. There's well, a lot, but 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 what you could, but it, it all you could boil it all down to just the truth of change. Okay, and what that and and really looking at what that means. I guess what I mean is that is the wisdom path the things you should like? Is it like the answers at the back of the maths book? Like, is it telling you what you should learn, and then that's what you're aiming for? Well, what it, what it's trying to do, in, in a way, the, like the Buddha, again, it's like the the language, mm-hmm. the teaching is instrumental. So the Buddha's saying, if you look at things like this, you're more likely to see them as they really are. So it's a bit like if you have a map, um, if you've if you visit a town you've never visited before, a city. Let's say you go to Madrid. You've mm-hmm. never been to Madrid before. True. Um, and you're trying to find something. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find I don't know a restaurant or the opera house or a cinema or something. If you've got a map, um, it's much easier to find Thanks. the cinema. Yeah. So um, 
so it's not the thing itself. It's like a way of finding the thing. Oh, great. Okay. So, so, so any Buddhist teaching um, is pointing to um, – it's a way of looking that so that we're much more likely to recognize and see what's really going on because we're looking in a way that's going to help us to find it. So it's it, in a way, change or impermanence is the best concept or the best word or the best angle that we can take. But reality, things are just the way they are, if you see what I mean. Um, what we're trying to do is, in a way, let go of our need for things to be the way we want them to be, and then we just allow them to be as they are. So, But once you realise what they are, know that they'll probably change. <laughs> well, they, well, they, well, yeah, they will. Um, yeah, they will, yeah. yeah. But, but, but in a way, but that... But, so that can be a frightening thing, but it's also a liberating thing because all the things that are unsatisfactory are also impermanent. So they may become satisfactory. In well, 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 in a way, you just let go of you let go of things needing to be a particular way for you, and that's freedom, if you see what I mean. So there's a there's a a, a very very strong emphasis in the Buddhist tradition on uh, on freedom, freedom of uh, well, they, there's a term chetovamuti, which means um, freedom of heart. Um, so you, there's a kind of heart which is just open to whatever arises. So that's the kind of so the security is a kind of uh, when you're living in, a, in accordance with the way things are, you're just responsive to, to whatever happens without any sense of it needing to be a particular way for you. And is this and that, so? That's obviously like a really difficult thing. I'm not. Yeah, no, you, no, no, you know, no, of course. But but that is that is the goal. And is it like in as you practice Buddhism, you see through your practice you experience that maybe for a day or for a week like you get glimpses of it you get it. glimpses yeah and yeah. then but is 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 the sort of goal to try and achieve what the buddha achieved which was i'm assuming a kind of a constant state of but surely a yeah. constant state of that you just do not you just wouldn't interact with people you just, well that's the mystery in a way of the buddha is like did he was he silent no obviously because well, no, he was he talking could, to people so so he had this realization uh, he woke up to the way things are. He was living in harmony with the way things are, as it were. And then there's this story of how he looked at a pond of lotuses and mm-hmm. he saw that the lotuses were growing in the pond and that they were in different stages of um, growth. And he saw that human beings were like that and that some of them, at least, would understand what he had to say. So then he decided to go and to communicate what he had um, discovered. So that's that's the the kind of the story that illustrates the compassion aspect of the Buddha's experience of, of awakening. It would seem that when you wake up to the way things are, coupled with that or arising together with that is a sense of a wanting to communicate that to others because one feels the solidarity with others. So how can you just happily be enlightened when you know that other people who could be enlightened be enlightened just don't know that the path even exists. So, so that's why he, um, that's why he communicated. So there does seem to be, well, there just seems to be an aspect. I mean, human beings communicate. That's what we do, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, all of us do it. It's pa- it's part of being uh, a human being. So it would seem that even an awakened human being has some kind of a part of his or her attitude or way of seeing the world which which includes this desire to communicate although when you use the word desire it's a bit hard to know what, what would what would a desire what would desire mean for somebody who's 
gone beyond things needing things needing to be a particular way for them. So it's it's a response. It's a profound like kind of impulse. responsiveness, like a like a yeah, like a like a impulse of of well, the the word the only word we can use is um, compassion. Um, but there's no sense of the Buddha doesn't suffer because we suffer, um, but he he responds. And in those teachings, like, is he speaking to someone? Like, how how does the Buddha respond? Is it in the teachings to people who don't want to hear his message or who are like, I don't agree with what you're saying? In a way, he just says what he says, and if people disagree, they might have a discussion about it, and then someone just walks off. Okay. You get quite a quite a lot of that actually in the Buddhist teaching. Um, people they 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 come to the Buddha and they say, oh, "What do you think about this?" And the Buddha says, "Well, this is what I think." And the person says, "I disagree with that." And the Buddha says, "Okay, great." You know, because yeah. I mean, if someone so so there's there's quite a a tradition of of dialogue, I suppose, in Buddhism. So and you get that. I mean, I teach Buddhism in our Buddhist center, you know, the Dublin Buddhist center, which is actually just across the river. And sometimes people really respond to what the Buddha's teaching, and sometimes people really don't like it, and they don't come back, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, again, I mean, the principle of love and kindness means there's no uh, point in trying to coerce someone to think what you think because they won't think what you think. They'll just be doing it because you've coerced them into. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of coercion. It doesn't have any place in Buddhism. If, if if people want to become Buddhists, they have to do that of their own volition. They have to make that as a free choice. And so, Other, otherwise, are, otherwise, it's just meaningless. So, how, like, if we take a gene- like a sort of a broad view of how most non-Buddhists are living their lives these days, what are the things that if people decided to become Buddhists, it's just like that's just not the Buddhist way of life, or that's not going to lead you to the path uh, that's not going to lead you to enlightenment or the lead you like things that people would have to let go of in order to follow a Buddhist tradition yes yeah, it's, it's an interesting question I mean <clears throat> another way of phrasing it, I guess yeah. is like how does like the operational day to day of your life look different to mine or any Joe Soap on the street well in some ways it probably wouldn't look terribly different because a lot of the things that you do I have to do like I have to have my breakfast I have to you know buy stuff for the house that I yeah. need you know um, but ho- what I would hope is that I would do those activities in a way that's expressive of uh, you know kindness consideration generosity contentment so I'm not if I buy my cinnamon roll and my you know latte I'm not going to expect that to solve all my problems but okay. I'll enjoy it on its own level if you said to me mm-hmm. um, I'll try and be truthful when I speak to people um, I'll try and, and and just go about my day in a kind of you know just a, a, in a kind of a, an aware kind of way so I know what I'm doing I know what my where my limbs are what they're doing yes I'm aware of what other people are doing if I'm walking down the street you know I'm aware where other people are on the footpath and sometimes you know I'm not great at that it can be a bit unmindful you know what I mean so, you, so, so that might be part of it is you're trying to be kind you're trying to be generous that's in your mind as, as a good thing to do um, and a lot of people a lot of people would uh, so you know like I meditate every morning for how um, long is that okay to ask yeah well I usually well uh, typically I do about an hour um, I tried to do three minute meditation once and I was like yeah. oh my god this is the longest well, three minutes of my life it's something that you build up to do you know what I mean it's like um, and for, the, for that yeah. hour like are you 
is your mind empty? No, and I think maybe this is probably one of the most popular misconceptions of, yeah. of, of meditation is you're trying to empty your mind. Um, you're just observing the thoughts that are coming in. Well, that's part of it, but you're trying to become concentrated in what you're in what you're involved in when you're meditating. So, for, so for example, one of the, that practice, the metta bhavana that I was describing, where you try and cult, that's the cultivation of loving kindness. That's a practice I do. I've, at the moment, I'm trying to do it most mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to concentrate on particular individuals and trying to develop an attitude of kindness towards them. Um, and you know, people that I'm having difficulty with at the moment, I bring them to mind and try and develop the same attitude towards them, trying to develop the same attitude towards people that I don't know particularly well. I never feel, uh, you know, happy with them or yeah, miffed with them. If it were, you know, if you see what I mean. And then yeah, just try and have that attitude towards all people. But I, so I'm just trying to become more as as present with that as possible, so that it, uh, my mind, my heart is 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 imbued with that with that sort of attitude as much as possible. I guess there's so many questions that I could ask, but um, I'm conscious of time as well. Is there a way that Buddhists um, kind of commune together? Or like, do you do group meditation? Yeah. Or what does your sort of, I'm sorry to be sort of vegetarian about it again, but uh, like your <laughs> your version of, say in, in Christianity, we have mm. mass on yeah. on a Sunday, which is basically like people commune together yeah, and yeah, they yeah. celebrate these gospels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, do you remember I was talking about the three things? Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, you've got, the, um, you've got the Buddha, right? So yeah. The Buddha, the Buddha is the founder of the tradition. He's the teacher. Yeah. Uh, he's also, um, you know, uh, like an ideal. He, he he represents an ideal. What of, you're trying of, to get to. Of human awakening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 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 there's the Buddha, and then you've got the the teaching that he um, gave, which is a path. Yeah. To that state of awakening, um, and then you've got what's called the sangha. Sangha means spiritual community. Okay. So um, together they're known as the three jewels, mm-hmm. but they're called jewels because they're the most precious things. Okay. And uh, the sangha is, yeah, spiritual community. So it's seen as equally as important as the other two, the Buddha and, and the Dharma, uh, in the sense that that's how we most, how we learn is through our interactions with, with other people. You know, so it's it's one thing to talk about love and kindness and to talk about generosity, but when you're actually with somebody who's kind and generous, yes. it means so much more, and you actually imbibe those qualities by your association with them. Um, so, you know, one of the so, so the Buddha gained awakening. He communicated the Dharma, but he also founded a spiritual community, which continues down to this day, which is which is basically the 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 gathering of people, the group of people who. Um, who practice Buddhism? Who who put those teachings into practice and do, and do that together quite consciously and deliberately um, and trying to, to develop um, friendships between each other. So friendship is seen as really crucial in, in in the Buddhist yeah even sacred yeah in the Buddhist tradition. So you've got a you have a connection with another person that's based on what's deepest and most meaningful in your life. Um, and that's part of the path, developing those friendships, developing, you know, I talked about truth. Mm-hmm. Often we discover what's true th- through communication. It's not as if we know what's true and then we just say it. Often it's a kind of groping for truth. Yes. And, and, and when you've developed a, a deep rapport with somebody else, you feel 
for each other, you've got a shared framework of values and practices, then the possibilities of communication open out as well. And you can discover truth in dialogue with another person and communication with another person. I have two final questions before we finished. One is, do you have like a like a sacred place that Buddhism is, you know, like there's sure. like Bethlehem or Mecca or yeah. wherever, Jerusalem? Well, there are, the, the, the Buddha, towards the end of his life, he, he recommended people um, made pilgrimage to the places that were significant in his life. Um, so there's a place called Bodhgaya, which is the place in northeastern India where he gains awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the place where he was born, uh, the place where he taught the Dharma for the first time, and the place where he died. So there's four pilgrimage sites. Um, and it is quite something to go there and to be in the place where the Buddha was. Um, it just seems to be something about human experience that when you go somewhere where a particularly significant person has been, it it's important that it means something. We're, we're kind of like we part of our experience is of place, isn't it? Like, yeah, I mean, people get that at the Hard Rock Cafe, you know? They're yeah, like, oh yeah. my God, that's the guitar. This is the place. Yeah, that's this the guitar the, that yeah. Jimi Hendrix played at, at yeah. you know, Woodstock or whatever it is. Yeah. And that, and it, and it, and it, and it, somehow it, it, it brings things alive. So the Buddha obviously recognized that. And so he, he encouraged people to visit those places. And um, so, yeah. And then my final question, um, and I will probably have to have you back because I have so many more, but we're running out of time. Do you have, and I know that like giving superfluous gifts and excess presents is probably not a Buddhist tradition, but do you have a date, like a, an annual, like do you have a Christmas? Do you oh, have yeah, a, yeah, sure. like a, a yearly thing? Yeah. Right. So, so, I mean, one of the things that's probably worth saying is there's lots of different Buddhist traditions. Okay. Um, so different Buddhist traditions will celebrate things in a different way. Um, so in our Buddhist tradition, we tend to celebrate the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. So we celebrate the day when the Buddha gained enlightenment. It was the full moon in May. So the full moon in May, um, Buddhists all over the world will celebrate the Buddha's awakening. Um, so that's that's. And quickly, what does that celebration look like? Is it like food and music and dancing? Yeah, well, it's getting yeah. together. So the Sangha okay. comes together. Um, often what we do is we might hear a talk, somebody saying, well, what is the significance of the Buddha's awakening? Mm-hmm. And we do what we call a, a puja. It's a puja is like a collective ritual, which is expressive of the kind of values that I've been, I've been talking about in relation to the Buddha. Okay. Um, so it can look a little bit like worship. Um, and in a way it is worship, but you're worshiping the Buddha out of a sense of gratitude and yes. out of a sense of even just of beauty, just just to admire the ideal. You're not worshiping the Buddha so that he makes things happen in the way that you want. And yes. that kind of kind of way, uh, it's a slightly different attitude. But some of the, when you look at it, it looks a little bit like ritual would look like in other traditions. So that is an important part of Buddhism, which sometimes surprises people of that kind of ritual. Great. Yeah. Nayandara, thank you so much for uh, for talking to me today. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As I've said, I had so many more questions. Um, and in as is the case with all of the episodes that we've done on, on this religious series, we could talk for ages and we probably will have them back. So if you do have questions further on, on Buddhism and the Buddhist tradition, send them into basically at headstuff.org and we can you know gather them together and make plans for future podcasts uh, our music is by only ruin we are edited by tara mccamley our graphic design is by Kahlogara, and we are part of the headstuff podcast network
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.